becoming more hostile towards Christianity. If a man says that a man and woman should be married, have a commitment to each other, just to them, and stays together, you will be called a bigot. If you stand and you champion the cause of the unborn child and that every child is a gift of God, if you stand and say that you are against abortion, you will be labeled a terrorist. Interestingly enough, we learned in Brother Harry's teachings in last Sunday night, the Bible says, David said, before, he said, you saw my substance before, yet when I was unformed. Substance there means embryo or fetus. David said, you saw me before I was an embryo. That just blows up the whole narrative. If you champion life and purity and holiness, it is going to become more increasingly clear that we are going to be the minority and I fear for our children and our children's children and their children, it will be an America unlike we have ever seen. Hostile to Christianity. We should not be surprised because the Bible teaches us that this will happen. This will in fact come about. There will be a time in this day, the Bible prophesies, that will be unlike any that we should not be surprised is coming. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men <coughs> will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Church, that is the world we live in today. And the reason we see so few conversions to Christ any longer is we have stopped convincing sinners they're sinners. We no longer we no longer teach sinners that they are sinners before someone has to know that they need Christ. They have to know that they're sinners. And society is explaining away sin. Things that God says an abomination. And even in the church, they have succumbed to this form of godliness, but it denies the power. Because we say that marriage should be even between a man and a woman, we're bigots. And they act like they are 
good. They're doing good. But they're going against the foundation of God in the family. Now that's not just limited to that. You can look in all of these things that we see going on in our land. And we have to just wonder what in the world is the foundation for our hope? How are we as Christians going to react to this? How do we conduct ourselves in the midst of this? How do we stay strong and stand for Christ yet love sinners? How do we navigate through this difficult time of world? Well, Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you would, with me, in, in verse number 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I find this fascinating. There were some men who, so-called scholars, tried to disprove that Peter was the author of this book. When it clearly says it's Peter. And see, sometimes one fellow said this. Think about this for all you Bible scholars out there. One man has said this. We have educated ourselves far above our ability to obey. You get that? Nobody cares about your knowledge. We care about what you're doing with your knowledge. God doesn't, is not impressed by how great a mind you have. He cares about your heart and whether you're being obedient to His Word or not. Peter wrote this. This fellow came and said, well, it couldn't be Peter because Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen back in those days were raw. They were they were men that were burly and they were grotesque and he would never write something so eloquent. But I love it in Acts when the Bible says about Peter, they noticed that they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? He's the difference maker. Jesus is the difference maker. He can take an old, rugged, burly fisherman that denied him and use him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Peter's words. It was God's words anyway. He can use him to pen this book. And if you believe it wasn't Peter, then you need to learn to read. Because the Bible says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and this whole region, the Asia Minor region there. To the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. People get hung up on this. He's talking about the redeemed. He's talking about the saved. That's all he's talking about. If you're saved, you were, it, God knew it beforehand. He knew He was going to save you beforehand. And God knows that He would save you. He would sanctify you. He would complete you. It's God. You believed. That's all you did. You trusted in Christ. So don't get hung up on the terms. He's talking to believers. He's emphasizing the believers. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And here is the point. Here's the point. How are we going to maintain hope in hopeless conditions? When the world has gone stark, raving, mad, how are we, the church going to thrive. Guys, we have lost sight of this. I think it's time we redeem I think it's time we redeem church words. I think it's time we say I'm a Christian. You know what? They were first called Christians 
at Antioch, the Bible said. That is the Bible term. We are Christians, which means we strive, we believed in Jesus Christ, we're saved, and we strive to follow Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the ministry. I am not ashamed of Shawnee Hills Baptist Church. I love it. I love it. And I know that this world is going to become more and more hostile towards me. I know. I know that things are going to get tougher for Christians. I think that as the pressure comes from other agencies and from the states and all these wicked politicians that get in there and they start putting the squeeze, I know it's going to squeeze the good people out of the public schools. The people who are fighting for right to keep schools what schools should be, education, reading, writing, arithmetic, not having transgender people read books to the kids. And there are good people in our school systems who are standing up and they're trying to do the best they can. And there's going to become more and more pressure on them because one of the tools of the devil is to get the minds of the youth. They know you won't change your mind about Christ, but they go after our kids. And I would venture to say around our area, most of the educators in the public school system are still good men and women who are still trying to stand for truth and they're caught in the middle of something they don't want to be in the middle of. And they need to know what they can do to stand. They need to know how they can have hope in the midst of this increasing pressure. There's going to come a time when they're going to knock on these doors and they're going to deliver a notice to us and they're going to say, listen, you can't do this. You can't preach that. And if you preach this or you preach that, you're going to lose your tax-exempt status. And we'll find out who the real givers are. And they're going to say that you can't do this and you can't do that or we'll take your property and we'll have to go preach on the side of a hill somewhere. And we're going to find out that we need hope in a hopeless generation. I'm telling you, this is not just a, a political... This is evil. And it's invaded both parties. And it is, if you have any... want to, I would recommend you, highly recommend you read a book called Return of the Gods. I'm, I'm halfway through it and it's blown my mind. Return of the Gods. It talks about the gods in the Old Testament and how they were worshipped and had all these temples and stuff built <clears throat> for them. And how when Christ came and died on the cross and the church began to thrive, that they banished those gods, those demons, those spirits. They banished them. And Jesus had a, a parable where he said once when he cast out a demon, if something good doesn't come into that person, then that demon will go and get seven more demons and come in and it will be worse in the latter than in the first. And guess what? It's happening in our land today. In the 60s, the door was opened up and those gods came back in and he takes these gods and he names the gods and he shows you how they worship them and how they're being forced down our children's throats today. It is a mind-opening book. I would highly recommend you read it. He is a Jewish scholar and uh, he's a Christian Jewish scholar, I should say, and he writes from a Middle Eastern point of view in prophecy. Jonathan Kahn is his name and it is a great book. I would highly recommend it. I don't normally plug books, but I would highly recommend you get that return of the gods. How do we get through this, guys? How do we conduct ourselves in this? You know, we have to be alert 
And I want you to know that in this passage of Scripture, He gives us the foundation for our hope for everything. Listen to me, guys. He is going to show us that it is the new birth. The new birth. Being born again. Being a believer in Jesus Christ. Being saved from the power, the penalty, and the control of sin. It is that new birth that will give us hope and sustain us throughout all of these wicked days. And it is extremely, extremely important. Look with me in verse 3. Blessed be God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter gets right to the heart of the matter before he writes about anything else, and he says like this, it's the new birth that changes everything. Listen to me. The church has to stop seeing the new birth, our salvation, as simply and exclusively a get-out-of-hell-free card. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's more to salvation than us not going to hell. The Bible says that when we believed in Jesus Christ, we became a new creature created in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Things have changed. When you and I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we not only were saved, we were made justified. We are being saved. That means we are being sanctified. We are being made into the image of Jesus Christ. It also means we will be saved. We will be glorified one day when we stand with Jesus and have a glorified body. And that is the process of salvation. Salvation is not a one-time prayer. You prayed the sinner's prayer. Now you go on and live your life the way you want to. That's not it. Salvation is a radical change in your life. It is a repentance from death to life. It is a repentance from not believing to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a repentance of committal to following Jesus. And we've lost sight of that. And the new birth is what makes all of this possible. The Bible teaches us in John chapter 3, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And if you are born again, believer in Jesus Christ, you will not feel comfortable in this society. You won't. And therein lies our hope. The foundation of our hope is in the salvation of our souls that Jesus Christ purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. That's why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Church, it's time that the church realize that we're living in a wicked generation. And it's time for us to rise up as born-again believers that we should be. And our basis for our hope, and when I speak of hope, I'm not talking about a wish. Americans think of hope as wish. I, I, I hope so. That means I wish. I hope it comes true. 
In the Bible, the term hope actually means a confident expectation. It's something you believe will come true. That is hope. I believe it will come true. And the new birth is what gives me hope. My eternal salvation is the basis and foundation of my hope. And it's solidified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's on what Jesus Christ did. It stands on that foundation, the foundation that cannot be shaken, the foundation that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived, never sinned, died on the cross, was buried, and He arose from the grave. That's the basis of my hope. So I would say this, number one, the new birth gives us hope. If you don't have hope today, you can have hope if you just stop thinking about the world and start thinking about what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. This song, Reckless Love, there were a bunch of theologians, pseudo-theologians that get all over Facebook. Oh, this term, reckless love, God's not reckless, all that. They misinterpret it. It's a man trying to explain the love of God, something that's inexplainable. And he says, the man says, when I look at this, this is a reckless kind of love. They're not talking about the character of God. They're, they're saying that God is, the, the writer's saying, and I read all this because he had to put an addendum out why he wrote the song. And he is saying, this kind of love in man's eyes is reckless, but this is the kind of love that God is. Listen to me, guys. Listen to me, please. Our eternal salvation is the basis and foundation of our hope. And if you don't have hope, go back to the day when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Go back to the day when you trusted Christ as your Savior. And guys, listen, this is not some little simple thing. Salvation is huge. Salvation is unlike anything else that Jesus Christ has done for us. And we talk about it so flippantly. We talk about the new birth so flippantly. Thursday night, we had the honor and the privilege of passing out. And church, thank you. You only gave 100 book bags. We, we, you gave 110 book bags. And we were able to pass out and this school, the Southville School, they were open. They let us pass out gospel tracts. They let us pass out Bibles. And they were open. And these people came and they loved, these kids loved the, 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 um, the, the book bags and all the, they brought some suckers. Jennifer brought some suckers and goldfish. And, and they, they were, the, the community was taking it in. And we had the opportunity to really make a difference. And that is to give the gospel. That makes the difference. Guys, listen, we can do all kinds of social things. We can buy shoes for people, and that's a good thing. But wouldn't it be terrible if a church bought shoes for sinners and didn't tell them the gospel and they died and went to hell in new shoes? What, the, what good would the shoes do? What good would that do? The new birth gives us hope. When the pressure comes from all society for us to give in, we remember what Jesus, cross, Jesus Christ endured on the cross and it gives us hope. I can stand. I can stand for right. I remember hearing a story about Corey Ten Boom. She was in a concentration camp uh, with <clears throat> when Hitler took all the Jews and, and she was in there with some women and, and they were talking about God and how good and she was reading some scripture and this one woman who had a hand that was messed up, who played the violin in the symphony, 
and her hand was emaciated and her hand was all disfigured. And she told Corey Tim Boom, she said, Hey, how, how can you say, and she unwrapped her hand, how can you say your God is so good? Look what he's done for me. Look where we're living in these things. And Corey Tim Boom said the only thing that she could say was she looked at her and she said, Listen, all I can tell you is God loved you so much. He sent his son to die for you on the cross of Calvary. And if you will believe in him and have eternal life, and you will see that this is in no way, what we're going through is in no way in any kind of comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for us. Her new birth, her salvation, gave her a new perspective on what she was going through. Now, I don't know about you, perhaps many of us would be like that woman. You know, if God loves us, and I followed Him all the days of my life, and look what He's done to me, look at my hand, I'll never play the violin again. Can I say to you, there's more to life than playing a violin? There's more to life than playing a violin? There's more to life than, than the creature comforts we, in, we enjoy on this earth? There's an eternity that you will either spend with God in heaven or you will spend away from God in hell. It is the new birth that gives us hope. Number two, it is the new birth that gives us security. Look at verse 4. We have been begotten to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I cannot be more clear than that. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, your security is in Christ. It's not in your ability to keep you saved. If it were up to you, you would fail. I would fail. We would all fail. And none of us would be saved. Our salvation is secure in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is our new birth that gives us security. It is an inheritance. And may I say to you, this inheritance is out of this world. Not only is it an inheritance, it is incorruptible and undefiled. It is pure. It cannot be tainted. It, man can't corrupt it. Man can't water it down. The new birth is what Jesus Christ did. It's His work, and you and I cannot change it. Nobody can change it. Nobody can mess it up. It's secure in Him. It's reserved in heaven. You and I that are born-again believers, we have a home. Our home is not your address on this earth. Our home is in a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavenlies. That is our home, not here. One preacher said, I heard it all my life growing up, we're just pilgrims passing through, kept by the power of God. Jesus said it this way, you're in my hand and I'm in the Father's hand. And there's no one that can take you out of my hand, but there's certainly no one that can pluck you out of my Father's hand. That's the word of God. That's not me. That's the word of God. And you and I are kept by the power of God. If you think you can lose your salvation, then you don't believe in the power of God. Because right here it says we are kept by the power of God. It doesn't fade away doesn't fade away. Think about that. Everything you and I own wears out. 
I had a sweatshirt that I loved. It was from 1996. That was the year I was married. And that's when Marshall University went 15-0 and and won the championship. And I had a black sweatshirt. I loved it. It had bleach stains on it. It had no elasticity. You could read the Lord's Prayer through it. But I loved it anyways. And I loved it. And my wife threw that away one day. And I've not gotten over that. I'm still a little bitter. But the point I want to make is this. Everything that we love. You say it's just a shirt. I know it's a shirt. It's just a stupid illustration. Just follow me. But what I'm trying to tell you is everything we have wears out. Everything we have. Everyone in here, no matter how new your car is, one day it's going to break down. And it's going to be an aggravation. Why? Because they wear out. They used to make dryers that you could dry everything in. I mean, I'm telling you, when Amy and I first got married, we got a washer and dryer from our mother and father-in-law. And I mean, that thing was like the rock of Gibraltar. You could do anything in the world, and it would just dry clothes. Now you get like two and a half years. You have to buy an extended warranty. They say, you better buy an extended warranty. And I'm like, well, if it's so good, and you're telling me how great this dryer is, why do I need an extended warranty? Well, you know why. It's made in China. And yes, I said it. But listen to me. All this stuff wears out, but your salvation will never fade away. The new birth gives us security. Number three, the new birth gives us joy. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for little, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Look down in verse 8. Whom having not seen, speaking of Jesus, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing... Even though you don't see him, you're believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Jesus, our salvation, that's why we joy. We don't see him. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think that implies not only seeing one day when we get to the kingdom of heaven, but I also understand that it believes you will not perceive the things of God. The natural man does not understand the things of God. People that are unsaved do not see the kingdom of God. They don't perceive it. They don't understand it. Those of us that have been born again, we understand it. We see it. We know it's there. We haven't seen it with our eyes, but we perceive it. We understand it in our hearts, and we believe it. We believe it. And that gives us joy. I mean, how in the world can we as believers in good conscience stand before God in His house with an invitation from Him, with a meeting with Him, and sing about what He did on the cross of Calvary and do so with no enthusiasm at all? And sometimes as a pastor, I have to bite my lip because sometimes I want to just explode because we're goofing off and it's not a goof-off time. And we're not taking it serious. And we've forgotten how holy God is. And the reason we don't have joy is because everything else is a big joke and we don't focus our hearts on Christ. I'm telling you, church, it is the new birth that gives us joy. I ought to come in here and sing. I don't care if you can sing or not. That's irrelevant. That's in the eyes of the beholder anyways. Some people think they can sing and they can't. And some people don't think they can sing, and they can. But that doesn't matter, because joy is a matter of the heart. And it's the new birth. I'm about to get choked up here. 
<clears throat> I got my water somewhere. Um, it's, it's this new birth that gives us joy. And there's so many Christians that are not joyful anymore. And the reason they're not joyful, I've had people tell me, Pastor, I just, I'm just burned out. Burned out? You come Sunday morning, how could you be burned out? I mean, you do all this other stuff through the week and you're burned out through the week. And it's the church's fault. No, it's not the church's fault. Your joy in your heart has nothing to do with the church. The joy in your heart has to, everything to do with your relationship with Christ. And people that are born again ought to be joyful. We should not have to go behind people and say, well, they're just cranky. You'll have to overlook them. Jesus loves them. We love them. We know who they are. We accept them. No, stop being cranky. We should greatly rejoice. Our praise team practices and pours their heart in. Eugene prays over what we should sing. And special music singers sing. They pray over what they should sing and they put their heart in it. We ought to be joyful. We ought to be worshiping the Lord. We ought to be full of glory, inexpressible joy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the Calvary. But we talk about salvation as such, Jesus died for me. So casual, like it's just another thing that's happened. No, it's not another thing happened. It is the thing that's happened. The new birth gives us strength to endure. Strength to endure. Look at verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, that's what's important, the genuineness. You know what Pastor Duke said about you? When he was talking to me before we left, we were talking and praying, and he said, I want you to tell you something. Your church, it's not my church, it's the Lord's church, but I know what he's saying, is so genuine. He said he has a friend, he won't tell me, he has a friend who was on staff of a church, of a, a pastor that all he was driven was a crowd, and he was not, didn't care about the people, he drove the people, he'd drive them right off a cliff if it would help him and he said his son had to endure that. And he left that to another ministry and took about 100 people because these people were, were broken because their faith, they felt the faith of the leader wasn't genuine. It was fake. It was a show. You have guys on there like that one guy down in Houston, Texas, and he blinks his eyes. And I believe that 99% of people are good. I believe that all are bad, the Bible says. Not genuine. No genuine in that. You know there are pastors who are on the... This blows my mind. There are pastors that have actually come out and said, they're well-known pastors, that they have a staff of people writing their sermons for them. It's just, a, it's just a face piece is all it is. The stage presence. What happens to people getting alone with God and getting a sermon from God? And so he says, your faith is what's going to prove you to be genuine. Genuine. And it is the new birth that gives us strength to endure that testing. Because watch, he says, that the genuineness of your faith, caused by various trials, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's going to give us strength to endure so that we can stand before Jesus and give Him praise and by our testimony of how we lived our lives and how we endured this cruel testings that's about to come? How can we stand? It is the new birth that lets us stand. 
It's what gives us the strength to do it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You get under His protection. I get under His protection. It's the new birth that gives us strength to endure. And lastly, it's the new birth that gives us our testimony. It's the new birth that gives us our testimony. One way or another, whether you know it or not, I'm your pastor, and if you're saved in this church and I've talked to you, I, I want to know your story, and I find out your story without asking you what your story is. Because everybody in here has a story. And there are many of you I know who were really living, living lives contrary to the gospel. But one day, someone told you the gospel, you believed in Jesus Christ, and you passed from death unto life, and now you have an incredible testimony that someone will be reached by. There are some of you in this room that can reach people that I could never reach. There are some of you in this room that have a testimony that needs to be written down and shared with people. As a matter of fact, I believe the greatest thing about you is your story. The greatest thing about you is how that you were a sinner and Jesus Christ saved you from the life of sin and called you and placed you into His church. And you and I have the obligation to share that testimony and it's all because of the new birth. We wouldn't have a testimony if it wasn't for the new birth. As a matter of fact, the only thing that keeps you from doing what you once used to do is that, in fact, you have been born again. And you have a new nature. And because you've been born again, you don't do that. So I say this. It is the new birth that gives us our testimony. So let me just say a few points of application and, and you can go eat. Number one, to have and keep hope you must be born again. If you're in this room today and you've never been saved, you've never been born again by the Spirit of God, today is the day. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. I would implore you, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. You will never, ever, ever be sorry. It won't be easy and life's not going to be rainbows, roses, and all that garbage. Life's still going to be tough. But remember, this is not your home. Everyone in this room, it's appointed unto man once to die, but next to judgment. Everyone in here will die. The greatest statistic in the world, one out of every one that lives dies. As a matter of fact, Keith Matheny says he can tell you when you will die. You know he's a magician, ventriloquist, and all that stuff. He says he can tell you when you will die. He says you will die within one year of your last birthday. Think about that. If you're going to have any hope in this world, you have, to be, you have to be born again. You've got to be connected to Jesus. Number two, we have to remember and keep in mind that our security and our strength comes from being born again. That's the power of the gospel. Why do we keep on going? Why were all the disciples, uh, why, why were many, I should say, of the disciples, most all of them, were martyred? You know why? Because they believed. In Jesus Christ. It was the gospel that sustained them. Listen to this. Speaking in the hall of faith. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Speaking of those early New Testament Christians. Listen to this. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute. Afflicted. Tormented. Of whom the world 
was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. What enabled them to be sown in two? We, have, we hear of the early church and how men who translated the scriptures into the English language were burned at the stake. They were burned. What enabled them to get through all that? What was their security? What was their hope? Their hope was in the new birth. Jesus Christ. And what does the devil want us to do? He wants to move us away from talking about people being born again. He wants us to move away from the gospel. He doesn't want us to tell people how to get saved. Because if we tell them how to get saved, they just might believe and get saved. And then they might tell someone. And then they might tell someone. And on and on and on it goes. Our security and our strength comes from being born again. It's just not a get out of hell free card. Lastly, our joy and our testimony comes from being born again. Salvation is what fueled the early church. The message of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what compelled men and women to go forth. Peter, the man that writes this book, he was going to be crucified. And he did not want to be crucified in the same manner that his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was. So he asked to be crucified upside down. He died upside down on a cross. Simply because he followed Jesus Christ. And someone made a bad Facebook post about Christians. Whoopee. Big deal. And I'll tell you what we need to do. Here's, this is, this is the, the main point. You want to know how to maintain hope in the hopeless conditions? You share your testimony of your new birth. We would rather everybody go to a Billy Graham crusade and everybody hear the gospel and be saved. We'd rather them come here to the church and listen to me preach and be saved. But listen, that's not the way God designed it. Jesus went all the way to Samaria for one woman. One woman. And if we want to combat the evil of this generation in this world, the only way we do it is one soul at a time. And the church has to rise up. And they have to start sharing the gospel. Because it's only the new birth that gives us joy, that gives us hope, that gives us strength, that gives us a testimony. It's only the new birth. So we can sit and do nothing about it and complain about how bad it is or we can get up, light a candle, and start telling people about Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I don't know how to do it. Listen, I remember the very first time when I worked with someone at the altar. I was a young preacher boy, and I thought I knew Bible. I didn't know anything. And I got up there, man, I was trying to fumble. I was a nervous wreck. My hands were shaking, and I was fumbling through, and I couldn't find the scriptures I was looking for. And after that, that person miraculously was saved. It had nothing to do with me. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably already saved before they got there the altar and I fumbled around through that and I thought afterwards I am not going to do that again I marked every Bible I had in the Romans Road to Salvation I memorized the Romans Road to Salvation I took me a gospel track and I memorized the Romans Road of Salvation I thought this is not going to happen to me again this is too important and guys listen we need to get back to that 
We need to get back to handing out gospel tracts. We need to get back to telling people about Jesus. We need to get back to sharing our faith. Remember what the guy says? We have, we have, we have educated ourselves far beyond the point that we are, can be obedient. We just need to get back to simple obedience in Christ. And that's what Peter's all about. He's going to deal with some big subjects. He's going to get on the wives. He's going to get on the husbands. He's going to talk about leaders in the church. He's going to talk about a lot of things. But at the heart of all of that is this, the glorious gospel. And guys, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe He died for you and He died for the sins of the whole world and you believe that, you will tell people about Jesus. Now, you can't make anyone be saved. But you can sure give them the gospel and leave all the results to God. But we don't even do that anymore. We would rather make a post and complain about the politics and the sin and the evil that everyone's doing rather than walking over and speaking to a sinner. I, I'm telling you, and I will tell you this. I do it all the time. I embarrass my wife. I do it all the time. If I see someone that's a lot different than me, I want to know their story. And I'll go over and I'll start a simple thing. Did that, they, you got this big piercing sticking out. Hey, did that hurt? You know? And I was like, well, kind of. And we just carried on a conversation. You just, people just want someone to care about them. And the church has stopped caring about sinners. We want everybody cleaned and coming in and all saved and giving and tithing. We don't want sinners. But Jesus said, I want them all. He went to the fishermen before he went to the tax collector. And I'm not putting a priority on anything. I'm just telling you, he went to the woman that was caught. She had, had been married five times and the one she was with was not her husband. And he went to her. And he didn't call her names. And he didn't look down on her. He wasn't condescending. He did speak about her sin. But he did so out of compassion and love. And we stopped doing that. We stopped doing that. And the world, the world is dying because of it. Do you know that the Southern Baptist Convention has had the fewest baptisms they've had in I don't know how many years? And we're all getting smarter. And we all got greater technology. And about the bottom line is we're losing the battle, and the devil wants us arguing over. Shekels. He wants us to be shackled by the shekels. I love that. I heard that. Too many people are shackled by the shekel. They want to know all there is to know about a shekel. Who cares about a shekel? Shekel has no eternal significance. We've got to get back to the gospel being the thrux of everything we do. It drives us. And we need to get back to calling men and women to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it starts with us. We can complain about the world, but they don't know any better. The natural man cannot receive the things of God. We know better. And we do nothing about it. So I would tell you this. The new birth is the foundation of hope. Let me ask you a question. Anyone ever go to the hospital? I go to the hospital more than I care to, to visit people. Right? You know where the happiest floor of the hospital is? New birth where the babies are being born. You know the happiest churches, most joyful churches, where a new birth happens, where babies are being born. There's something about a baby 
and you see your kid. I mean, you know, those macho guys go in there, yeah, my kid's going to be strong, tough. And we look at our kid, and we're like, you know, idiots. Wait till you have grandkids, it's even worse. I mean, it's like, I don't care if the grass gets mowed. My granddaughter's here, you know. Here they come. It'll it'll wait. I don't care about that stuff anymore. All the things I used to be OCD about, they're here, man. I'm OCD over them. You know what I mean? New birth. New birth. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. What the church needs is a revival of our hearts, of the seriousness of the new birth. We need a revival in our hearts about committing to seeing men and women, boys and girls, come to faith in Christ. Now listen to me. I would say this. There's probably everyone in this room knows somebody that's not saved that we care about. Every one of us. And you're probably thinking about them right now. And the sad thing is, statistically, we will prove this to be true. Statistically, we sit in here, we think about it, and we say, I should witness to that person. And when we dismiss in prayer, we'll walk out those doors, we'll go eat our dinner, we'll go do our Sunday afternoon activities, and we'll forget all about them. Knowing, knowing in our hearts what the new birth has done to us. How it's radically changed us. And we won't even go and share a gospel. A gospel track. And listen, if you go out to dinner today and you leave a gospel track, leave a good tip. If you can't leave, afford to leave a good tip, get you a McDonald's and go home. And hand her one through the window. Don't be leaving no 10 cent tip with a track. Listen. Listen, it's the gospel. It's the new birth. That's the foundation of all of our hope. And before Peter writes about anything else, he writes about the foundation of hope being the new birth, being born again. Ye must be born again. Would you bow with me for prayer? First of all, I'm asking you here this morning, if you're here and you've never been born again, you've never been saved, if you're here and you say, Preacher, if I were to die, 